Good to have you with us on this Easter Sunday morning. We want to read from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, on the account of this morning some 2,000 years ago. And to put it into context for you, what has just happened is uh, a week ago, Jesus has this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. Everybody's waving palms and celebrating Jesus comes. The crowds uh, surrounded him. Uh, thousands of people loved him, and thousands of people hated him. And uh, so he's surrounded during the day by all those people who love him, and uh, he's preaching and teaching uh, in the temple and kind of really irritating the uh, <laughs> Pharisees. They'd already decided they wanted to kill him. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a minute, but this last week, I mean, he's really sticking it in their eye, you know, he's calling them hypocrites and phonies and everything else, and that's just enraging them. They wanted to kill him. They didn't want to arrest him during the day, because they were afraid of the thousands of people that loved him. And he's surrounded by all these people, and uh, better to arrest him at night after everybody, you know, goes to bed, or a lot of people would leave the city, and were camping out in the hills nearby and stuff, but they didn't know where he was. Uh, and that was frustrating to them. If we could just find out where he is, we could arrest him and put an end to all of this. Well, then along comes Judas. Judas betrays him. If you never really thought through what it was that he did, all he did was he said, I'll tell you where he is. That was the betrayal. Because now they can move on him. And sure enough, uh, they come in, following Judas, takes him to where he's at on the Mount of Olives. They arrest Jesus they take him into custody, run him through really a sham of a trial in the middle of the night, which was actually illegal, but they did it anyway. By the next day, after appealing to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he consented to have Jesus crucified. So Jesus is crucified along with two other thieves, one on his left, one on his right. And uh, so they're on the cross, and... Uh, the Sabbath is coming. Now, this is a big deal because to the Jewish way of life, particularly this time, uh, 2,000 years ago, but even still to very Hasidic, very observant Jews, the Sabbath is a big stinking deal. You do not do anything on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus criticizes it to this point. He says what God had intended to be a blessing to them. Hey, everybody slow down, rest, relax one day a week turn into this compulsory thing that you've got to do, then if you don't do it, you know, you're going to be in all kinds of trouble. And they just started discussing how much you could do and what you couldn't do, how many steps you could take. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. You know, um, you remember one time his disciples are going through and they're, you know, taking pieces of grain off the wheat stalks on the Sabbath and just, they, they just had fits on it. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. Well, this is Friday. Now, it's getting late in the afternoon. These three men are hanging on this cross. The Romans loved crucifixion because it was one of the slowest ways you could possibly kill somebody, which if you're going to kill somebody, make them feel every bit of it. And they would hang him on these crosses, putting something through your hands and through your feet. Do not kill you. It hurts, but it doesn't kill you. What kills you is... As you start to hang, and because of the vertigo, you start to suffocate, and you push up, and then your legs are killing you, and then you go down, and I mean, just agonizingly hard. You can imagine how terrible this is for them. Well, the tick-tock, tick-tock, 
the Sabbath is coming. And unlike us today, most people consider the next day to be in the morning. When the sun comes up, new morning, this is the new morning. Uh, or to those who are more technical, by midnight, it's the next day. But actually from uh, the Old Testament teaching, biblical teaching, and certainly from the Jewish way of looking at things, uh, the next day begins at sunset. The minute the sun goes down, it's not even really dark yet. I mean, just the minute that thing crosses that horizon, goes down, it's the next day. It's the evening and the morning, the next day. This is the next day to them. So as soon as that sun goes down, you can't do anything. So they're going tick-tock, tick-tock. What are we going to do? Because we got to move this along because not only do we got to take these bodies down, they got to dispose of the bodies, they got to get home, they got to get ready for the Sabbath. It's a big deal to these people, intensely so. We can't even begin to comprehend how intense they think of these things. So they're coming along and, you know, they are slowly dying, which is the plan. So to hurry things up because of the time and we're running up against the Sabbath, they go to break the legs of the people, the men on the cross. And by doing so, obviously, it takes away the option for them to be able to push up now. And they quickly, miserably suffocate to death. So they break the legs of the two guys and they come to Jesus and they notice he was already dead. And to make sure... That's when we read where they stabbed him in the side, no reaction, and just blood and water runs out and said, oh, he's already dead. So they didn't break his bones, which is actually one of the Old Testament prophecies that they would not break his bones. So anyway, so now they quick take him down and they skittle along as fast as they can. Tick tock, tick tock. The Sabbath is coming. And they get him into the uh, tomb and now... What they would do is they would have ceremonially things that they needed to do in terms of spices and how they would wrap the body. And, you know, so this is a hurry up deal. They don't have time for all of this because the Sabbath is coming. Heaven forbid they do something on the Sabbath. So they were really into this. So they put him into the tomb. They must have wrapped him with some cloth at some point, uh, but really decided, well, we'll do this, you know, after the Sabbath. So they quick roll back the stone and they take off and they got to get back. I mean, it wasn't like they hopped in their, you know, Harley and took off. I mean, they had to walk everybody. They finally got home and just in time, you know, for the sun to go down. Well, now it's Saturday and they can't do anything. Nobody does anything. Now the sun goes down Saturday night. Now you can go do stuff, but now the sun's going down. And again, no vehicles, no lights. They got to walk. It's dark. No one does anything until the first breaking of dawn, the very first hint of light on that Sunday morning. And that's where we pick up the account. Luke 24, verse 1, he says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. See, that's why they were going back. You don't unbury somebody to see how they're doing (laughs) Okay, I don't know if a lot of people think this through. Why would they go back? Because they hadn't officially buried him yet. They couldn't do it. It was the Sabbath. Ah! So they're going back to finish the job, not to, you know, check up and see how he's doing. So they go over there, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Because that freaks them out. They, when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now they're alarmed. 
while they were wondering about this, suddenly the Bible says two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Okay, obviously angels. What was their response? Well, virtually every time in the Bible an angel shows up, it freaks the willies out of people. People always say, oh, wouldn't it be great if we saw an angel? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be awesome? Apparently, it's not so much fun. Because every time they show up, everybody freaks out, right? On the Christmas thing, you know, the angels singing to the shepherds. The shepherds weren't going, yeah, that's great music. They're they're freaking out. So these angels show up, they just freak. So in their fright, the women bowed their faces to the ground. I mean, they just fall to the ground. (coughs) Angels, don't sneak up on people. Good grief. Anyway, so... They look at, the angels look at them and say, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then the ultimate Christmas verse, which is the next verse, it says, he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And that's really the amazing part. Because Jesus had told them very clearly on multiple occasions, we're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And then I will be raised on the third day. Now, for those of you who are trying to do the math, wait a minute, that's not, that's not three days in the tomb. It doesn't say it would be in for three days or three 24-hour periods. Okay, that would have pushed it way off. Uh, day one, again, they're not thinking 24-hour frame. When you died on Friday, that's day one. You're in the tomb on Friday. You're in the tomb on Saturday. And on the third day, these events happen on these three days. That's why that. So. But anyway, Jesus had told them this is what was going to happen. In no uncertain terms. And then when it happens, they freaked like no one had told them. Okay? Now you think, what were they thinking? Uh, now, in their defense, Jesus had said so many things to them that they had no idea what he was talking about. I think they got to the point they weren't listening anymore. You know, kind of like a husband. You know? <laughs> and you hear so much after a while, it's just wah, 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 wah. And you're not hearing stuff. And then they get yelled, I told you, really? I didn't know anything about it. Okay? So that's... That's what happens to these cats. And the angel says, remember, he told you. So it goes back and finally they all say, oh, I guess, yeah, that's right. You did mention something about that. All right. And that's what set this all going. This is what we celebrate today. When Jesus Christ came out of that tomb, this is the fundamental point of the Christian experience. In fact, Paul wrote, he says, if there's no resurrection, everything else we believe is a bunch of baloney. In essence, that's what he's saying. None of this matters. It's when Jesus comes out of the tomb. You say, well, you know, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, you don't believe in that. There's no sense in believing in any of it. That's what the Bible says. You see, Jesus had an amazing birth. We celebrate the birth. Uh, you know, with all the mystery and the angels and the shepherds and the star and the wise men. But lots of people have amazing stories to tell in their lives. Jesus was an outstanding child. Uh, the Bible tells us one time that Mary and Joseph had come to Jerusalem I'm sure they're all traveling in family and stuff like that. And then they're about halfway home. When it dawns on him, nobody has Jesus. The Bible says Mary thought Joseph had him, and Joseph thought Mary had had him. Where is he? I don't know. I thought you had him. You never pay attention. Apparently, you know, we've had these conversations, all of us, in our lives. And uh, so they quick run back. You know, where is he? Where is he? And they get to the temple, and here is this young boy, and he's teaching all of the elders about God. And these guys were all blown away. Like, wow. So he was an amazing child. But there are lots of amazing children in the world. I'm not much into the 
whole YouTube thing, but if there's something that gets my attention is when they have these young kids who can do amazing things, you know, play the guitar incredibly or, you know, classical piano and are like three years old. I mean, it's amazing or juggling cats or whatever it is that they do. And it's like, wow, this is, this is amazing stuff. So there's been lots of amazing children throughout the world. He was an amazing teacher. And to this, and even unbelievers in Jesus will concede that, he was an amazing teacher. Uh, and the, the words he said and the answers he would give people that would question, you know, uh, his, uh, you know, teachings and stuff like that was stunning. When you read it, it's like, wow, it's truly amazing. But there are lots of amazing teachers and have been throughout the centuries. Jesus did miracles. Now, when it comes to the miracle part of it, no one even claims to have done the kinds of miracles or certainly not the number of miracles that Jesus did. And what he did is truly amazing. Uh, his life. Keep this in mind. His ministry was only three years. Okay? He was born, raised, and he was a carpenter and everything. He just, they laid low. He didn't do much of anything until he turned 30 years of age. Then one, two, three years, and it was over. In three years, he had this incredible impact on the world. I'm turning 60 this year. I'm on the verge of geezerhood. All right? And I'm still trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do for a living. Okay? I'm still trying to grow up. Okay, in three years, wow, what he did. And the miracles he did. But virtually everybody of any religion or something claims some kind of supernatural visions or miracles or whatever. Again, no one even claims what Jesus did, but uh, lots of people that did that. And that's where people will at least admit, you know, Jesus was a great prophet. They'll give you that. He was a great teacher if they're religious in nature. Well, yeah, well, I wouldn't believe you, but he was a great prophet. Okay. But when Jesus walked out of that too, that's the game right there, okay? When he walks out, never to return again, no one has ever done that. No one even claims to have done that. It is that claim in Christianity that just fries everybody's brain, particularly those who don't want to believe in Christianity. The, the resurrection, the thing that multiple millions of Christians all over the world are going to celebrate, the world is going to say, what's the big deal? That's not even possible. It's not possible. That's the point. It's not possible. Only, I don't know, God could do something like that, which is the point. Jesus was God in the flesh who lived amongst us. And when he came out of that tomb, game over. No one, no one has ever done that, and no one can. There have been people who've been you know, miraculously raised from the dead or on the verge of death, near death, who came back, you know, but then they still had to die. The thing with Jesus, it was the permanent resurrection, the kind of resurrection he promises someday everybody will experience on that final day when they blow the whistle and everybody comes back and then there's judgment day, okay? In the meanwhile, the Bible teaches us that it is that resurrection power that God displayed in that moment when life came out of Jesus, came into Jesus' body and he walks out of that tomb. And then if you keep reading the account and that's when he meets with his disciples and stuff and they're just, whoa, I mean, you can imagine what they must have thought to see Jesus showing up and start talking to him and... Uh, it was that power that we as Christians get to tap into is what the Bible teaches us. We have access to the supernatural power of God. And that's what church and everything is about. The Christian life is trying to explain to you how to tap into this glorious power. It is that power that allows us to experience spiritual life in the first place. Okay? This is what we call being born again. What does it mean to be born again? You people say you're, you're born again. What's born again? What's that mean? Uh, what it means is when we're spiritually born, you see, 
We are made, the Bible tells us, in the image of God. God is three but one. We also, in his image, are triune beings. We have three distinct parts but are just one person. We have a body, we have a soul, you know, our intellect and whatever, and we have a spirit. Now, the Bible tells us that because of sin, when Adam and Eve basically told God to stuff it, and mankind said, I don't need God, I'm smarter, we can figure this out on our own, that we died spiritually, and every human being ever since then has been born, stillborn, okay? And there's something not complete in the human race. And anybody, I don't care if you're religious, pagan, atheist, whatever, if everybody, if people are honest at some level, they will tell you they can tell something's wrong. Something's wrong, okay? I mean, physically, we're here. Mentally, most of us are here. But spiritually, there's something wrong. They can tell that it's wrong. That is what has given birth to all these religions in the world. It's their attempt to desperately reach out to touch God, fix this, fix this. How can I fix this? And they have their rules and their rituals and everything else. Christianity is very different. We're the only religion in the world that you start out experiencing God and then learn about it. Every other religion, you got to learn their religion, you got to read about it, you got to do their meditations, you got to go through their rituals, you know, their prayers, whatever, all in a desperate attempt to hope that you can touch God. Christianity, you start out, boom, you touch God. Wow. And now you start to learn about it. From then, it's called being born again. When you come to Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, he breathes the life of God into you. And for the first time in your life... You come spiritually alive. Most people here can tell you the day and the hour that happened. I mean, it's rather dramatic. Some, it happened as young children. It's not quite as, but they know even as a child, wow, something happened in me. This is a dramatic thing. That's why people are here today. That's why people, as Christians, we live the way we live. And this is why we are virtually impervious to arguments for people who come up with, well, there's no such thing as a God, and then what about this, and blah, blah, blah. You know, most Christians, it just rolls off our backs because the person with an experience is never at the mercy of the person with an argument, okay? You can try and tell me a million different ways why there is not $20 in my pocket, and I'll just smile at you because I know there's $20 in my pocket. Actually, a few more of those too. But anyway, you, you can yell and scream and holler, but you have the experience. Once you experience something, someone can tell you why you didn't experience. You know, we know, we know our experience. We know what happens. It is a powerful, glorious thing. It's called being born again. But again, without that, it's like something's wrong. And they have their own religions, and they're trying to fix it. And some people are hedonists, where they think, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just have more money. If I just get more money, it'll fix it. But there's something wrong. I can't earn enough money. They never earn enough money, these people. Well, if I can just be more famous, if I can just be a super rock star, that'll fix it, that'll fix it. And you've got rock stars who kill themselves. Why? Because something's wrong. I can't fix it. I got all the fame in the world. I got all the money, all the power in the world, and it's, something's still wrong. Others think, you know, I, I, I'll just do some drugs, you know, or drink enough booze and get high off enough. Oh, that'll fix it. That'll jump start it. But it doesn't fix it. 
Other people convinced, well, if I can just find that right person in my life, you know, if I hadn't married this idiot and I would have married the other idiot, I'd be happy, you know. So I just, and you can go through multiple idiots. And, and still, something's wrong. Something's wrong. What is this? It's because you're not whole. You're not complete. You're spiritually dead. You come to Jesus and say, that's not possible. Yeah, that's the point. Only, I don't know, God could do that. And you come alive, and that is what we celebrate. This is what we demonstrate, actually, when we have, when, we're, when a Christian is baptized in the water, out of the water. We're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is this resurrection which is the keystone to what we believe. By the way, on Wednesday night uh, in our churches, we had 85 people baptized which is a large number of people. These are people you've had a difference in speaking into their lives in this church who've come and found faith and have experienced this life of God in them and have made the decision, I'm going to start following Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. And what a glorious, glorious experience that was watching. It's stunning watching each one of them. If you were here, it was amazing. They'd go in the water. Every single one that come up is like, they were glowing like light bulbs. It was like, wow, what's in that water? And uh, it was powerful to see what God had been doing in these lives. And this is what we celebrate now, walking in this newness of life. We now have. See, without Jesus, there is no born again. We're like everybody else, and we all walk around, and we're all hopeless because there's something wrong, and nothing can fix it. But thank God, because of the resurrection, life comes and it fixes it. And we are now whole, and this is the glorious message that we share. But now as Christians, we need to intentionally walk in this new life. Most of the New Testament is really about telling us about how to experience the life and then how to walk in it. Because now you got to walk in it, okay? Because now we have this new, <gasps> see, without Jesus, all you got is that <clears throat> icky part of you, that nasty, sinful nature of yours, that drives you to lust and to hate and to be bitter and unforgiving and full of fear and all these things that are just dominant. And some people say, oh, I'll be a better person. I'll just be a better person. And you push it down for, but it always wins. It always wins because you're slaves to sin without the life of God in us. Once the life of Christ comes in us, <gasps> wow. And now we can live victoriously over this. I would love to tell you that this is gone. It is not. It's still there. Okay. Part of the Christian experience, why you want to come to church every Sunday. is so that you can build up your spirit and intentionally walk in this new life and mitigate this. We have that freedom now as Christians, but we still struggle. This still pops up. It's like the horror flick when you're convinced the guy's dead, but he pops up again and, and freaks the willies out of you. You know, it's still there. We still deal with, thank God for forgiveness. Everybody say amen. Okay. You know, but pastor, this is just running my life and I'm defeated. Why? Because you don't feed this. That's why you need to come to church. Okay. That's why you need to pray and not just over your food. Thank you, God, for the Big Mac. Amen. Okay. There needs to be a little bit more to that. It's why you read the Bible to build and intentionally walk. It's why you go to church and connect with other people. And that's really the purpose of church is not to just come in and click a card and flip out real quick. Okay, this isn't life insurance or fire insurance. 
or you're trying to pay the premium and quick get out. All right? This is, we're supposed to be connecting with people. And in that process, we build the spiritual part of our lives. And now we walk victoriously over this thing. But this is still there. It's irritating. We make mistakes. Thank God for forgiveness. I was, <laughs> I start up my Sunday mornings. Every Sunday, I go back and I pray with some of the, uh, some people from church before the first service at 8.30. And uh, I walked in. And uh, they're there talking and uh, uh, <laughs> listening to the mothers in the group was hilarious because they were talking about the frustration of being a mother on Easter morning yeah. and uh, trying to get the kids out of bed and trying to get them to do this and get ready. Ah! And, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's really funny. You know, I don't want to mention any names, but her initials are uh, Jenny Tetzner. And she's telling me <laughs> about... About her kids this morning, and it's driving me crazy. Of course, they, and of course, Randy Warner is he here? <laughs> he had the same story. They're both telling me the story, and this why of these possessed children. Okay, now, but they made a big mistake. Okay, now here's the thing: they were trying to reason with me why their children should be more grateful because they didn't have candy for the kids this morning. Okay, because we know they're going later to the grandparents. And apparently, grandparents are very bad about this. So I've heard. Here's some more sugar. <laughs> Bye! You know. <laughs> so so they, they've reasoned, you know, that because they're going to get all sugared up, we'll put, see, Jenny will put like health food in the bag, okay? Now, you're a kid, Easter morning, and you got bird food in your bag. You are not a happy kid, okay? And the parents trying to reason with us, say, man, you're crazy, you know? And, and Randy, what did you have in your... Shoe, shoes and gift cards and stuff. So they got the shoes and the gift cards, and what's the first thing your daughter says? Really, where's the candy, okay? <laughs> now, so, so much... <laughs> yes, yes, clearly he is insane, all right? I told him, dude, you're crazy. You're trying to reason with the children on Easter morning while there's no candy, you know. And of course, Jenny says, I feel so bad coming to church because now I got to praise the Lord after yelling with my kids all morning. And, you know, but that's what it is, you know. We just, you, you got to put that down sometimes. My advice is give them candy on Easter morning, for heaven's sakes, you know. They'll, they'll be fine. Or, or bring them over to my house, we'll take care of them. So, <laughs> great joy. Okay, so anyway, our job now as believers, build this up, mitigate this. That's what the Christian experience, that's what church, all this is about is that if you're not doing that, if you're not actively doing this, you know what happens? This becomes your life. You're still a Christian, your life sucks, or you're still a Christian, you're a defeated Christian. You can't pray. Nothing seems to happen. God never answers my prayers. Everything's horrible. I'm mad at everybody. Nobody understands me. Ah! Why? Because you're not doing what you need to build this up. We need to, as Christians, walk in this resurrection life, and you do it intentionally. It doesn't happen automatically. I would love to tell you it's automatic, but it's not. You see, our resurrection, spiritually speaking, is more like the resurrection of Lazarus. One of my favorite accounts in the Bible is the account of Lazarus. Now, Jesus is friends with Lazarus, one of his best friends. 
And Mary and Martha, he's friends with the family, his sisters, and everything's great. Well, he hears that Lazarus is sick. So he's going to go pray for, or go, go to Lazarus, and, but he's dragging his feet. And his disciples are like, hello, <laughs> let's get going. And no, no, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. So anyway, by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And he's been dead for days, four days. And when he gets there, the sisters are really upset. They're upset, of course, that he died, but they're upset with Jesus. Sometimes people get mad at God. They don't understand what's going on, and they're yelling at Jesus, and they're crying, where were you? Where were you? And they're crying. Everything's so emotional. The Bible says that Jesus wept. It's the only place in the scriptures where there's a recording that he cried. It was in a very emotional moment. These girls were all upset. Everybody's upset. Where were you? And And he starts crying with them, and Uh, And we pick it up at verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, it was a very emotional moment, came to the tomb. Show me where you've laid him. And he comes to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, which was very typical in that day. And he tells him, take away the stone. Now that's creepy, okay? The guy is dead. And Martha says, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor. King James Bible says, he stinketh, okay, because he's been dead there. He's been there for four days. Now, here's the point, and intentionally Jesus did that because he knew what he was about to do. You see, here's the thing with miracles. The people who experience the miracle know what's happening, but nobody else necessarily believes it, okay? You'll have this, right? God will do something really cool in your life, and people around say, oh, that was just a coincidence, Aren't you lucky? No. All of a sudden, you're having a hard time, and you get a check in the mail you weren't expecting. Wow, that's that that a coincidence. No. It was God showing up, answering prayer. And even when it comes to the idea of praying for someone physically, you know, Pastor Lathan could flop over dead right now, and one of you nurses could come over and, and feel, and he's not breathing, and there's no pulse, you know, and I come down, and I pray for him, and all of a sudden, he sits up. We're all going to think, oh, he had gas, you know, or something, <laughs> Okay, right now he could be stone cold dead. And if he pops up after people get around him for a bit, nobody in this room, sadly, including me, would think he was dead. We think he was just mostly dead. All right. But when you're in there for four days, you are completely, totally, absolutely, irrevocably dead. So he waits for four days, and now he says, roll back the stone. Everybody's going, oh, dude. Dude, no, no, it's nasty. Roll it back. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Somebody's paying attention. Roll it back. You want some candy? Where are you? Are you? <laughs> Come here, you little one. Anyway, okay. So, so he says, roll it back. Now, you've got to imagine. Can you imagine being? I hope there's instant replay in heaven because I want to see this. The tension. Jesus is crying. Everybody's, you know, and he's Jesus. He's the rock star. I mean, multitudes of people are just being there when he's there. It's like, wow, there he is. There he is. Oh, there he is. Oh, oh, oh. 
and he comes and, and he comes and he's crying and all this emotional. Oh man, where was he? If he'd have been here, he could have prayed for him. But then he goes to the tomb and we all go, let's go. He's going to go show his final respect. And he says, open it up. It's like. And the Bible says in verse 43, we'll jump down here. He says, when Jesus had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, if you're there and you're watching Jesus and he yells, Lazarus, come out, I'm pretty sure we're all looking over here, right? What is going to happen next? This is not possible. It's not possible. He's not mostly dead. He's totally, completely, horribly, horribly dead. And they turn and the Bible says, that the dead man comes out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth tied around his face. And he comes <laughs> hopping out like the mummy, you know, and he comes out. Now, I don't know how they reacted. That's what I want to see. That's the part I want. How did the people respond? Because I got to tell you, I'm doing a funeral and the guy starts knocking on the inside of the casket. I'm like, I'm out of here, okay? <laughs> When this guy comes hopping out, ah, they'd have to be praying for me. I'm the next one dead. Quick, pray for him. He just died. Yes, yeah, so all the men are freaking. All the women are crying and fainting. All the women and me, you know, I'd be, ah, what is this? And he comes hopping out. In fact, it is this miracle that pushes the religious leaders over the edge. And that's when they say, we got to kill him. We got to see everything else you can reason. You know, he was sick, and he prayed for well, He probably wasn't that sick, right? You know, you come, and you're coughing, <coughs> and Jesus prayed for you. I feel better. Oh, well, you probably just got better, you know? Doctors do this. God bless their pee-picking little hearts, you know? You can ask God for a miracle, and something will miraculously change in your body, and you show, because I know I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it with my wife. We'll come in, and we'll say it, and they say, well, well that happens sometimes, you know? That's their best answer. Okay, I guess theoretically anything's possible. But this, this you can't explain away. And when they saw this, they freaked that we have got to kill him, which led up for this final holy week in what we've been celebrating on this morning. It was this miracle. Push him over the edge. But here is this guy. He comes hopping out. Now, the reason his face is covered and wrapped up and the hands are all wrapped up because of what they do to the bodies, right? They didn't get a chance to do this to Jesus' body because they were in a hurry to get out of there. They are coming back the next, on Sunday morning. That's why they rolled back the stone to finish the job. But he'd already been all wrapped up and stuff like that. And you can imagine how freaky that would have been for him. All of a sudden you wake up. <laughs> Where am I? You know, and you can hear some sudden, blasters come out. Okay. <laughs> and he comes out, and everybody goes, ah! And, and then Jesus says, unwrap him. Take the grave clothes off and let him go. You see, for us, that's what happens for most of us. We, God does this miracle in us, and because of the resurrection, we are resurrected, but we're still, we got issues. Pastor, I got issues. I married the devil. Pastor. My kids are possessed, you know. I got this, I got this problem. Yeah, we get it. We're trying to unwrap you so you can walk free. And the more free you walk, the bigger of an impact you can have in the world. But if you take your spiritual 
life casually. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to pray that much. I can still be a Christian. Yeah. One of these. <laughs> yep, I really love Jesus. I got issues. I can't do anything. But I, I believe in Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. You want to be like me? You know. Not so many people want to be that kind of a Christian. You know, you get all this anger and bitterness and frustration and everything sucks in your life. And, but you love Jesus. I know you do. But that's why you need to come to church all the time. That's why you need to pray. That's why you need to read about it. That's why you need to connect with people. So you can build your spiritual life. So you can be free of all this stuff and walk in glorious freedom. Oh, this will keep popping up. All right. But we show you how to live victoriously over that. That's what most of the New Testament is really about how to live victoriously here and to live over this. And don't let this control your life anymore. So this morning we celebrate number one. <laughs> I'm out of shape apparently. <laughs> if I pass out, pray for me. Okay, so number one, we celebrate that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came out of that tomb and forever settled this deal. We win, man. This game over when Jesus came out of that. Number two, we celebrate the fact that we can have new resurrection life within us. And if you're here today and, and not in a hurry to run for your life <laughs> after listening to this, but, uh, and you acknowledge, yeah, man, there is something wrong. Something wrong. I can tell something's wrong. And you've never truly experienced this glorious spiritual birth. You can do that today. Doesn't matter whether you're sitting here at one of our campuses watching it on television at home, on the internet, whatever. If you've never truly, you need to do this because it's a life changer. It is quite glorious. That's number two. And number three, once this happens to you, as Christians, we'll only truly be affected if we live the kind of lives that build this and minimize this. Otherwise, we'll always be defeated Christians. And there's no person more miserable than a defeated Christian. Let's walk in the victory the freedom, the glory, and the grace that comes from the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Let these words be powerful in us. Help us to determine, oh God, to serve you, to honor you, to respond to your words and to your truth, and to live the kind of lives that bring glory and blessing in our own lives and to those that we touch. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Bless you.